Hey everyone, just recorded tonight's episode of Wizards After Dark. It was a really fun one, obviously following up an unbelievably fun game, even though the Wizards ended up falling to the Bucks 137-134. We talked Bradley Beal's huge 55-point career-high game. We talked Chris Middleton's 40 and why he continues to kill the Wizards every night and all the other crazy stuff that happened from the game against the Bucks. Mo Wagner's weirdness on Giannis Antetokounmpo and even more coming up shortly. It is super late. It's so late that I'm actually recording this one from the media room at Capital One Arena, which if you listen to the podcast, I often talk about being in a room with bricks and no walls and it looks like a prison cell. And now I'm in a media room that looks like a boring cubicle office. And the reason why is because it's so late that Matt Velasquez and I are the only two people left in this room right now after this crazy ass game where the Bucks beat the Wizards 137 to 134. Not Bradley Beal's fault tonight. Beal had 22 of the last 24 in regulation. He had a career-high 55 after going for a career-high 53 last night. He has 108 points in the last two games. And I'm here with my buddy from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Matt Velasquez. Uh, crazy game. Yeah. Wild game. Very crazy. It was. I, I was saying it before, and I, I was on the radio a different time. And just is one of those games where I wish I didn't have to work. Where <laughs> I could have just like watched the game and enjoyed it instead of scrambling every time Bradley Beal hit a shot like oh man like I need to rewrite everything and redo everything because the Bucks were up 20 and now they could lose and they could lose like in regulation because Bradley Beal is going supernova and I don't think anyone can stop him um but uh you know still fun game yeah you know so last night I did the podcast and if you didn't listen to that one you should go back and listen to it because I did a little bit of a special one which I had done once before, ironically, against the Bucks when I wasn't in Milwaukee, they were, and I started the podcast over Skype with Ben Standig at the start of the fourth quarter. I did it again last night, the same thing uh, during the Chicago game, and you can go back and listen to that. And if you did listen to it, like I said last night, I'd appreciate feedback on it. But I, I, I kind of said during last night's podcast when Brad had 53, we were almost talking about those 53. We didn't talk about it in a way that Bradley Beal had a career high. It It... 53 is 53, but it wasn't like a tonight type of performance. Tonight he had 48 in regulation, and it just felt like so much of a better performance because of how the points came, the way that he was working off the ball, like the way that the Bucks just threw every single defender at him starting midway through the fourth quarter when they were just like, we are the whole city of Milwaukee is now going to guard Bradley Beal. George Hill was guarding him off the ball and doing a tremendous job, honestly. Eric Bledsoe was darting him some possessions and doing a tremendous job. And he was just working and working. And Shabazz Napier played well. And Brad was trying to get the ball. He'd take the ball up half the time. But when he wasn't, he was he was going nuts off the ball trying to get open just so he could receive it and make a play. And the shots that he was making, the types of shots he was taking, the way he was working and putting so much pressure on that defense – it was crazy to watch during that fourth quarter when he has that 22 out of 24 stretch. It was just, it was wild to see a defense, the best defense in the league, react to a player like that. Yeah, and talking to George Hill after the game, he said that, you know, you try and do everything you can to, to make things difficult for somebody. But at that point, he was just comfortable. And he, he said, like, you know, he's already seeing an ocean. I think he was just saying, like, basically, you throw the ball up and it's going in the ocean uh, from the beach, like that kind of t thing. And, you know... 
I feel like the the Bucks did a pretty good job of continuing to to still try and like show him that pressure and like um, make things difficult. But like at some point, the like, guys just he's just making crazy shots, and like they weren't crazy in the sense that like they were bad shots. They were just like like hard fought, like heavily guarded shots that you know as a defense like that's what you want to do. Like if someone's gonna shoot, you want it to be like you know a quick like catch and shoot with a guy in your face. You know maybe not totally set. And Bradley Beal's like, yeah, whatever. I'm just gonna make it anyway because it was it was just incredible. Yeah, so it was funny. So I haven't I haven't fully written this yet, but by the time this podcast posts, the article might be up. But the story that I'm working on now is kind of so. The first question to Brad post game was essentially something along the lines of, "How's it feel going for a career high the night after going for a career high?" And the first thing he said was, "Terrible, honestly." You can, we, you know, you can throw out the fifty-five with the fifty-three because we didn't win either of those games. Then later, I asked him, "You appreciate? You're a basketball fan. You appreciate NBA history. You're the third player in NBA history to have back-to-back fifty-three-point games, along with Wilt Chamberlain and James Harden." And he responded, "That's pretty damn cool." And then he also said later in the scrum that that was the most fun he's had playing a game and that he viewed this as a preview for a one, eight matchup in the first round. And he wanted to show the bucks that that series wasn't going to be easy for them. And Bradley Beal slowly going from terrible to that was the most fun I've ever had playing a basketball game is, is the perfect encapsulation of what Bradley Beal is going through right now. I think because honestly, I don't think it was terrible for Bradley Beal, and I don't judge him for it. The dude played out of his mind, and he was great, and he went up against a legitimately incredible team and was the best player on the floor for the night. That's okay. That's not terrible just because you lost. I also don't think it was the most fun he's ever had playing a basketball game. I think he's probably played some playoff games that were close-fought ones that he had some more fun. But that's like the, to use everyone's favorite cliche, that is the emotional roller coaster that Bradley Beal is on this season with just scoring like crazy, averaging over 30 a game now, being frustrated with the, lo- the losing, but also remembering how well he's playing and just going back and forth on that. And that's why I think we kind of see these comments where he's like, I'm happy, but then I'm frustrated. But then we have a culture problem, but then I'm thrilled that I resigned. And I think that's just what we're seeing from him this year. Yeah, And you kind of think about it. I mean, as someone who's just kind of parachuting in and I don't see him all the time, get this man some help. <laughs> like, like somebody, anybody. Like, you know, I know the Wizards are, are rebuilding and they've had injuries and bad contracts and bad decisions and, you know, just kind of some tough luck uh, at certain points. But, man, like, y- you want to see a player like that be able to to kind of, like, ply his trade in, in a more meaningful situation. Like, you know, for a decent part of this game, you heard more Bucks fans than Wizards fans. And granted, that has to do some with the Bucks being up by 20 at one point and... You know, I, then where I'm sitting, I happen to be near a lot where a lot of Bucks fans were, some player, you know, family members and stuff. Um, but it, was, it wasn't really that exciting of an, uh, an environment. And you're like, man, like this isn't this isn't really anything special. But then that fourth quarter happens, and Brad is going nuts, and the crowd just totally swings. They're all in it. He's like gesturing to the crowd. He wants more, and they're giving it to him. And you're like, wow, like if there were a few thousand more people here, and maybe some. Some better supporting cast. I mean, Shabazz Napier, Bucks killer, 
He's been doing it multiple times this season and, and probably in the past too, but I don't know how he does it. He just keeps he keeps doing it. If that's your like number two like wingman kind of guy, like there's a ceiling. There's a very obvious ceiling. But if you can get like just a little bit more of you know, a little more talent, a little more depth and get some of these young guys to come along, like you know, there could be the makings of something and you get more fans and you get that louder atmosphere and you know, it's it's a little bit more exciting. And tonight was already like you know, by the fourth corner overtime, it was lit. So like, it, it was, was a good crowd tonight. It, it was, it was, it was great. But it, it, it was kind of a slow build, and you know, Bradley Bill's night was kind of a slow build, and then it just exploded. Uh, but yeah, get the man some help. Hundred and eight points in like twenty seven hours is ridiculous. Yeah, and and two losses, and they're definitely not his fault. Like he, he wasn't just like gunning. And yeah, like, La- he was last night. Vision. Last night he was. So it's funny because I talked about in the podcast while we were watching the game and it was still going on. I I talked about Beal just not being in a defensive stance at all and Zach Levine noticing it, blowing by him, and then Beal kind of having just like a lazy bail him out foul, which turned into an M1. And after the game, Scott Brooks called out the team for giving up all of these and ones mm-hmm. and he called them soft. And I don't think he was just talking about Bradley Beal, but Bradley Beal was was part of that. And it's just amazing. How, like, everyone was freaking last night. I watched the post-game show. I wasn't at the game. Everyone was was bugging. Look at this team. Look at the the troubles that they're having. Scott Brooks is calling them soft. Uh, Bradley Beal was, was agreeing with those comments. And then tonight, even though they lost, even though they lost, Bradley Beal is tossing them on his back. They're competing with what has been by far the best team in the league this year. They almost beat them. I want to talk about that last play. Of regulation, at least. Okay. Scott Brooks doesn't call a timeout, which I think turned out to be the right decision because the Bucks forgot about Rui Hachimura. Rui ended up cutting through the back. Robin Lopez, at the time that that Beal could have found him, I don't know if Beal really had the angle. He ended up throwing a Rui on just a straight pass. Rui tried to go like kind of a reverse layup, got blocked by... Lopez with with a second or two remaining. I don't know if Beal had the angle to be able to throw it, but you watch the play again, and it's so much easier said just like second time around watching the play, and you wonder what would happen if Beal tried to throw an alley-oop to Rui on that play when he was cutting and throw it over the rim and see if he could throw it down, but that's a really hard pass. I think Beal made the right play throwing a Rui. Uh, Rui, it's been a thing all year where like, and this is very common for rookies, where he just kind of goes for the layup because he's used to playing against dudes in the Big West and you can go for a layup in that situation and be okay, or the West Coast Conference, and you can go for a layup in that situation and be okay. You can't do that against Robin Lopez. He's going to do something to you. And Rui kind of went up for the layup as opposed to dunking, as opposed to faking and going up on the other side, and he ended up getting blocked. I thought Beal made the right play. What did you make of that? Absolutely the right play. And I think that kind of speaks to, you know, just how, like I mentioned before, he wasn't gunning. He wasn't just looking for himself. He, I think he recognized he needed to do more and he needed to take those shots, get the team back in the game. But it wasn't gratuitous. Like, it was, you know, the, the Bucks sent everyone at him on that last play. Like, they were intent on him not being the guy who killed him. And Chris Middleton afterwards said that, like, he, even he, like, made a mistake in, in his coverage there. And I think he also like went to be and like that's part of the reason that that Rui was open, 
And when you see a guy, I mean, the game's tied. You don't need a three. You don't need, a, like, a heavily contested shot. You need something easy, something inside. And if you get the ball to your big man, you know, you have the chance of either getting a layup or a dunk or he gets fouled. Like, you have options down there where, I mean, he was wide open. Like, if, if he can make that pass maybe in a different way, obviously, like you said, easier said than done, either an alley-oop or gets it to him maybe faster or cleaner or leading him to the basket or something like that. Like, we could be talking about, you know, how Bradley Beal, amid this, like, supernova fourth quarter, makes, like, the sacrifice to, like, set up his teammate for a win. Like, and I, and I think that, you know, if you're Scott Brooks, like, that's what you want to see. Like, you want to see your star willing to defer to a rookie because it's the right basketball play. Um, and it was really close to working. Yeah, and I thought that was encouraging, too, because – so last year during crunch time, there were a number of situations. Last year during crunch time, they pretty much just ran. If it was like a close game, they need a bucket, final possession. They would just go like three shooter spread, high pick and roll with Thomas Bryant. And Bradley Beal would get trapped on the pick and roll. And then he would find Thomas Bryant and Thomas Bryant would shoot it. And that was kind of what it was and what they did during crunch time. And it worked a couple times. It worked against the Knicks in a game that they played. It worked a couple other times during key possessions late in games. And that was pretty much just like their go-to ATO. Tonight, tonight they didn't run that. They haven't really done that this year. Um, they've run other sorts of stuff. And I think Bradley Beal has been in a lot of situations a little bit prone to hero ball late in games mm -hmm. he has like the fourth highest usage in clutch time this year like 42 percent or something like that 41 percent in clutch time which is which like is, it's a lot but it's also not surprising yeah i mean it's really really high but he's shooting a, a really bad percentage in clutch time and that's small sample that doesn't mean bradley beal's not clutch but i think that is a symptom of him playing hero ball a little bit more this year and tonight he just he wasn't just on a roll. People think of getting hot as, like, the guy was just making shots. But he was, like, on a roll in every capacity as a decision maker, r moving off the ball, getting off these screens, getting himself open. Like, he was just feeling everything. And, like, the last play in overtime, too. They're down three. He gets the ball. He thought he was going to be able to go up for a three. He was, like... Six stuple teamed. The Bucks somehow got an extra defender onto the court just to be able to swarm him with six guys. And while he was in the air, he bounced past to Shabazz Napier, which was fine. But Napier was a little bit too close to him to do anything because there were those six defenders were next to him too. And the ball ends up going to Troy Brown, who gets like, you know, Troy Brown's not a great three point shooter, but he gets kind of an okay look. I mean, it's not an inexcusable look to get at the end of a game, and it, it ends up rattling out and doesn't go down. And and. No, Beal didn't create that shot. He didn't end up creating a great look for anybody. The Bucks were making stuff so difficult on him specifically because of how hot he was from that fourth quarter into overtime. And I just thought he handled it. So aside from a couple turnovers here and there, like he really handled it amazingly well. Yeah, and even the Bucks after the game were like, well, wait, you know, Mike Budenholzer was saying how maybe he could have handled it better. Maybe he could have sent a, a trap earlier and tried to get the ball like, out of Bradley Beal's hands. But I also don't know if he could have done that. Like, he could have tried to get it out of his hands. Like, what are you going to do? Like, a, like a Steph Curry at Davidson, like, triangle and two on, like, Brad Beal? Like, I, he was getting the ball with, I mean, Eric Bledsoe was a first-team all-defense guy last year. Like, George Hill you know, is a really good defender. Like, 
these guys like have been around the block. They know what they're doing. And still, like, he was getting the ball. The Bucks are the number one defense in the league. Yeah. And, like, it just didn't matter. So, like, I don't know what difference any schematic changes would have been, you know, other than, like, guys just, like, you know, joining hands and, like, encircling Bradley Beal. Like, I, I, I don't know what, what they could have done. Uh, it, was, it was just, you know, a, a great performance by him. And as you said, like, he was, he was finding ways to get open and then making good decisions out of it. Yeah. And no, no, no Brooke Lopez, certainly. Are. I mean, he's a really underrated defender and is really important to what they do. And Rob, Robin's very solid. I but, mean, it was... But no, Brooke is really... He's a really good defender. It was pretty critically important that the Bucks had literally a like a clone of Brooke Lopez at the end of that game. Like, you know, in, in years past, like especially last year, they had Brooke, but they didn't have like a real center behind him. They had, you know, Don Maker for a time. I mean, he's more of a stretch big um, and his defense is meh. Uh, but then they have Ersan Ilyasova and Nikola Mirotic. Like if they had to close that game with Ersan Ilyasova at center, you know, since Giannis was out, you know, with, with the fouls, Ersan's not blocking that shot. Like, it's just not happening. Like, he, he maybe would have been there to take a charge, but he's not blocking that shot. And so having Robin there, you know, it, it saved the game. Let's talk about those fouls. I have, I have a pointed question to ask you. Sure. Do you think that Giannis Antetokounmpo hates Mo Wagner? Ooh. Um, I think – I don't know if he hates him. I feel like hate involves – like a level of. Do you think he basketball hates Mo Wagner? I think he might basketball hate him. I mean, he might, but like, I would say hate involves like actually like devoting enough energy to thinking <laughs> about him at that level. Like you can't hate someone that like you don't think about often. <laughs> but I, I think he is greatly frustrated by Mo Wagner. That is that is for sure. My my favorite types of rivalries in all of sports are ones between like superstars and like role players. I love them. They always seem like they should just be not real things. That's why the best rivalry in basketball to me is Russell Westbrook and Pat Beverly. It's great. Because it's just two guys who are not on equal footing, and yet the mutual hatred there is is so apparent and consistent, and it's just equally coming from both sides. When Russell Westbrook should not be thinking about a guy like Pat Beverly and yet is doing it. And obviously, Mo Wagner and Giannis are not at that. But uh, it's it's just really funny to see Mo be like, all right, well. And I asked him about it after the game. He was like, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to get under his skin. I just, I just, he said, I just want to play my ass off, honestly. He said, I'm not trying to get under his skin. And then he said... Uh, he said, but, you know, he's, he's a really good player, and uh, we'd obviously rather him not be in the game. So That's true. So that, 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 That's a good way of going about it when yeah. you're playing Yas Denakumbo. Like, you'd rather him not be in the game. Yeah. And so anything you can do to make that happen, you probably do it. Just flailing and flopping, and he annoys everybody. Like, he just gets on. He was doing it in the Rising Stars game, just annoying everybody. I mean, you got to commit to the bit. He commits. <laughs> if you're going to do that, you got to commit to the bit. He commits. He just watching him and Giannis, him just annoy Giannis. Once Giannis got in the foul trouble, I was like, all right, there is like, there's a 100% chance that Mo's going to foul out and he needed overtime to do it, but it happened. 
And and there's like a 60% chance Giannis does because this is what Mo Wagner just kind of does now. Yeah, and Giannis, you know, he had a few games earlier this season where he would just rack up fouls and he fouled out and, you know, it just was in kind of a weird headspace. Uh, and tonight, like, it was a kind of a throwback to those games and you know, he had three fouls by halftime and a bunch of them, like, they're not... The most annoying thing, I think, for him is that he's not, like, getting his money's worth on these fouls. Like, there's a lot of, like, touch fouls and mm. charges and, you know, just things where he's like, ah, like man, again. Uh, and then he had, like, a like a little, like, kind of, like, poke foul, I think, on Hachimura, like, early in the fourth quarter for his fifth foul. And so he misses a lot of time. He comes back in, and there's, like, a minute and a half left, and that's when he just, like, chucks Mo, And, like, Bucks fans probably didn't like it, but like, it was definitely an offensive foul. Like, when you grab a guy with two hands that you're trying to cut and you just shed him to the <laughs> ground, like, that's like a football play. Like, that's not – so, obviously, you know, I was frustrated and, and all of that. But, you know, I talked to him after the game, and and I was like, so, like you – know, and I knew he was already in a bad mood. Like, I mean, he was in a good mood that they won, but he had some inner turmoil about his night. You know, he had mm-hmm. eight turnovers. He didn't play his best. And – his best was still the anti Bradley Beal experience. Yeah, and it is and not his best was still like twenty two points on eight of twelve shooting and fourteen rebounds in twenty five minutes, yeah. <laughs> which, which is just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, he he didn't finish the game. He wasn't out there you know, with his teammates uh, late and in overtime. And I was like, all right, how do I ask this question? I was like, well, Giannis, you know how how do you take what happened tonight and you use it as fuel for tomorrow? And he was like, how long have you been around? And I was like, eh, like. Three years full time. I've been, you know, six years, you know, around you guys. He's like, no, nah, how long have you been around? And I was like, since your rookie season, man. I've been I've been here since your rookie season. So what do I? So what do I usually do? Like, what 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 do I do? And I was like, you you turn things up. And he was like, exactly. He, he's like, so we'll see we'll see tomorrow night. And tomorrow's Toronto, right? Tomorrow's Toronto. First time the Bucks are going back there uh, since the end of the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. And it, it it's gonna be a great crowd. It's gonna be fun. Uh, I guess the one silver lining for for the Bucks is that on this back to back, Giannis only played twenty five minutes in the first game, so he should be go. relatively fresh. Chris Middleton uh, became the first Bucks player this season to play over forty minutes in any game, which is wild uh, that we're this far in the season and no one's played forty more than forty minutes in a game. That's crazy. Yeah, because you look at the you look at the Bucks numbers. It's like I wonder with Giannis specifically. Like, you parlay it over. He's, he's averaging more points. People talk about Harden scoring. He's averaging more points per 36 than Harden is. Yeah. I mean, the, the scoring numbers are outrageous. I think Beal passed him in points per game tonight. I mean, when you put uh, up 55 and 53 in back-to-back games, you're, you're going to shoot right up there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Beal's at, Beal's at 30.1 now. So I think Beal just barely passed him by, like, a tenth of a point or something like that. Sure. Or, or, or two-tenths of a point or something like that in, in points per game. So I think he's just a sliver beyond him but like you look at i think it was tom haberstrow who tweeted out recently that wilt averaged about 45 minutes per game in his career and if you go Giannis's per minute numbers over 45 minutes this year they're wilt numbers like over for 45 minutes i think it's like 45.6 minutes if he played that many minutes his per minute numbers are 44 points 20 rebounds and nine assists it's like what it's incredible. I, I, I mean, this I, is this is historic, historic. Like th- he should be, this this should be a unanimous MVP year. I don't think it will be. I think LeBron will do enough to get some votes, um, which will I'm sure enrage James Harden. 
but <laughs> but <laughs> and and even more so will enrage Rocket's Twitter. Yes. Oh, the, they'll they'll be all over it, which you know as they should be. That that's their job. Uh, but you know, Giannis, I think he has the most. 30-point games in less than 30 minutes this season, or like, or 30 or less minutes, whatever, 30 or fewer, whatever it is, he has it. And it's just, the Bucks are like a machine. Like, Bud will play all bench lineups, he'll get the guys their minutes, everybody's playing like 32 or fewer minutes per game, like they're beating teams by so much often that they can just like play out the string toward the end. And even in games like tonight, like one guy played more than 40 minutes, even in an overtime game where it was like close for a lot of the fourth quarter and overtime. Like, and even after the game, Bud was like, yeah, like, you know, I don't like playing guys like more than 40 minutes. I think Middleton only played more than 40 minutes in two playoff games last year. That's crazy. But they just don't do They don't believe in it. They think that they want to have guys fresh like and by playing them just a little bit less, they can get a little bit more out of them. Uh, I mean, I'm not one to to question what is obviously working so well, but you know, talking to Chris, he was like, "Yeah, well, this used to be like every other night for me before Bud got here." So you know, I I was I'm able to do it. It's fine, but the numbers they're putting up. I mean, Chris, his per thirty six numbers. I mean, last year I remember people questioning and you know whether he should be an All Star or not and. His numbers are much better this year. He's 50, 40, 90, uh, over 20 points a game while playing, like, less than 30 minutes a game, which is, again, wild. Yeah, per 36 is, like, 20, 26, 7, and 5 or something. Yeah. And that's, like, something I wonder with him specifically where Giannis, I think people know just, like, the low minutes, the Bucks play low minutes, he's going to win MVP. Whether he gets all the votes or most of the votes or whatever, like he is going to win MVP this year and he's going to be first team all NBA and it is going to be looked at as an historic season from an historic player. For sure. That's a guarantee now. With Middleton, I wonder, because he's so like Middleton, we haven't even really talked about. He had 40 tonight and he had 51 last time these two teams played. So he's got 91 in his last two against the Wizards. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. (laughs) And, uh, you look at his shot breakdown this year, and it's just crazy. He's just amazing from everywhere. He's like 60-something at the rim. He's like 50% in the restrict, uh, the paint non-restricted area. He's like 52, 53 from mid-range. He's over 50 from the corners, I think. He's like 40 on above-the-break threes. He is elite everywhere on the floor. He has no weaknesses to his scoring game now. He's unbelievable on those pull-ups. Like He... He's elite from everywhere. He's a good team defender. He's facilitating. He's rebounding. He's doing everything. And I haven't done out my my All NBA yet. I just haven't done it out. But you, he's having a top twenty season in the NBA. Yeah, he has to be. And, he has to be in the conversation for at least yeah. third team All NBA. Yeah, he's got to be. I, I I think he's got to be right there in the conversation. And I, I I'm not ready to say whether he should or shouldn't be on there. I'll probably have a vote, and I'll have to decide for myself at some point later in the season. But What's going to be really interesting to follow the rest of the year is he's at what, like 28 minutes a game or so? And he's if you, edging a little bit higher now, but still, he's less yeah. than 30. Yeah, and if you look at the quarter-by-quarter quarter breakdown, it's not just because the Bucks kill everybody and he sits in fourth quarters. Like, he plays seven, seven and a half minutes each quarter through. He's just not having – he's not like playing nine minutes in the first quarter, resting, playing eight minutes in the second quarter, and, and so on, and then just sitting a lot in fourths because the Bucks are killing everybody. He's – even if the Bucks weren't killing everybody, he would still be playing not that many minutes. 
And when you talk about great players, if you're getting great production, like the minutes do matter because when you talk about incredible production that you're getting on the aggregate, the minutes matter. If you would rather, you're going to get more from a great player who plays 35 minutes than you are from a great player who plays 28 minutes. If they're giving you the same production, yeah, no doubt. you're going to get seven more minutes of production out of that guy. When he's not playing, that's for those seven minutes, that's seven minutes of a worse player playing, which is less helpful for your team. Now, that's completely out of his control. That's not his fault. I'm sure he would love to be playing 35 yeah, minutes. Yeah, it's not like he's fouling out. Like, he, you know, Giannis has fouled out a few times. He's not right. fouling out. That's not right. what he that's, does. That's just what the Bucks do. That's their philosophy. That's how they play. That's how they rotate. And I, I don't really know the answer to this question. When I when I vote on All-NBA, I tend to be a big minute guy because and a playing time guy and a games miss guy because I, I really think the, the aggregate of what you give is very important. Mm-hmm. And that's and the games played stuff means means a lot to me. If you play 10 more games than somebody, if you play 600 more minutes than somebody over the course of a season and you're an elite player, that's 600 more minutes of production that you're giving and of help that you're giving. That that matters. Um, and But with Middleton, it's just different because it's it's completely out of his control. So, so I... I just think it's going to be fascinating to see how that enters the equation because the per minute production is incredible and in a lot of seasons would probably be all NBA worthy and he's doing it on a team that's going to win 65 to 70 games and I'm fascinated to see how it's going to be received because he's having a really elite season and it's going to be a really interesting discussion. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's going to like in any you know, reality, he's going to pass the kind of prestige forwards of Giannis, LeBron, Kawhi, and AD. I think those guys mm-hmm. will make up the first two All-NBA teams. So it's just like the fight for that second All-NBA team. And it'll come down maybe to who's listed as a guard, who's listed as a forward, mm-hmm. and, and how you can kind of shake it out. But, I mean, he, he's going to be, you know, one of those guys who's in there. And I think, I mean, I'd like to get your perspective on this. I know that Bradley Beal was very obviously snubbed from the All-Star team. Was Chris Middleton someone that Wizards fans were pointing to, like, oh, like Brad should be in over him, or were they targeting other people? Because I feel like last year he would have been targeted. No, I I didn't really hear him targeted. To be honest, I didn't really hear anybody targeted. That's interesting. It was it was just that's my my least favorite thing about the so and so was snub thing. It's like okay, well, who do you take out? Well, say who you take out then. Have say who you take out. Who do you have on yours? Like. I heard people make generic comments of like, you got guys on there who aren't even averaging 20 points a game. And then I heard other people say, Trey Young did get called out. I did hear people say, Trey Young, he's got an even worse record than than the Wizards. Why do you have him on? But it's like, okay, you're going to have, you're going to call out Trey Young for being there on a, on a losing team, but then say Bradley Beal should be, even though he's on a losing team. Like that's a, that's a weird one too. And then you get like the people calling out, that that Bam shouldn't be there, or Sabonis shouldn't be there, or Lowry shouldn't be there because the scoring numbers are not necessarily there, and and those guys, you know, might have been flex players or whatever. We don't know who was like in the flex position versus right. for you know who got the most coaches votes and that kind of stuff. But but I very rarely heard like this guy shouldn't be there. I don't I don't remember. I'm sure somebody said something about Middleton, but I don't remember Middleton really being that guy, especially because Middleton just went for 51 against the Wizards. Yeah, no, at and, that point, you're not like, right. hey, like this guy and shouldn't even, go. It's like, oh, that guy's right. actually pretty good. Yeah, and Wizards fans, like even casual Wizards fans are like, oh, wait, 51? And then on the broadcast, they're talking about like, hey, you know, this guy, yeah, he doesn't average 51. 
because no one averages 51, but this guy's actually pretty freaking great. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, wow, he's averaging this? Oh, wow, he's shooting 50 from the field and 43 from three and 90 from the line, a high volume? Oh, wow, the Bucks haven't lost when Giannis has sat this year, and this dude's numbers are insane when Giannis sits? Oh, okay, he's he's pretty great. Yeah. So so I, I think Wizards fans are the fan base that might res- respect Maybe. the Chris Middleton build well, as much as any. And I think that that's, all, all that together is kind of indicative of, like, Chris Middleton is now he's not he's no longer like the everybody's favorite like underrated player or the hoop hoops nerds like you know player that they love to point to that nobody knows about like people know who he is yeah, well he's better though and, and he is better like, like he's he's having this is the best year of his career oh easily and like, he's worked his way into like a different conversation like he is more known and more you know accepted I guess now than he has been and. You know, there haven't been those questions. Like last year, there was a ton of conversation. Like, is he a good enough number two? And, and there's still some of that this year, but a lot less because he's been plenty good enough as a number two or as a you know, game like tonight as the number one. Uh, and, the, and the Bucks have been really good whenever he's been on the court. So he, he's definitely developed and, and transformed as a player. And, you know, I, I know last year Bucks fans were not excited maybe not as excited as they should have been that he signed like a year max deal over the summer. Like, Oh, we're going to give money five years, 178 million to this guy. Um, but since the season actually started, I have not really heard any of that. I think they've been pretty happy with uh, the return on investment so far. Yeah. If it gets you a title and on top of that, gets the big fellow to stay. Exactly. Uh, the, the titles, number one, getting the big fellow to stay is two. And after that, it's like, you don't know what happens, and then number four is profit. <laughs> like, 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 that's it. If you get those first two, you get a title and Giannis stays, who gives a shit about the rest? No, no, it doesn't matter. You, you could pay anyone any amount of money, and everyone mm-hmm. in Milwaukee would be like, I'm great. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. People would be thrilled. Uh, you do great work. On oh. the beat. So tell my listeners where they can find all your stuff. Yeah, no, you, uh, you also do great work. Uh, yeah. But you guys can find my stuff in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, jsonline.com. I'm also on Twitter at uh, Matt underscore Velasquez. And, uh, yeah, no, that's that's where my work is. And, and Matt really does do great work. I'm going to plug you because you were just named a uh, top 10. Beat writing. Top 10 beat writing in, like, everything. Not just in basketball, in everything for uh, – the recent APSC awards, which is like awesome yeah, and very well-deserved. Um, so Matt does amazing work. You can go read him at the journal Sentinel and uh, you can subscribe to Wizards after dark. If you're just randomly listening to this episode, give it five stars on iTunes, leave a review. You can subscribe to the athletic for 40% off on an annual subscription at the athletic.com slash wizards after dark. Again, that's 40% off on an annual subscription at theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark. Uh, I will be back with another episode uh, following Wednesday's game against the Nets. So that'll be up Thursday morning for everybody, another post-game episode. Uh, anything else before we go? I think that's it. I think we might set off an alarm when we leave. We, we might. It's it, currently... it wouldn't be the first time I've set off an alarm here. But, uh, you know, I'm sure they don't like that. I've set off alarms in Cleveland and I believe Chicago, leaving okay. so late. okay. Yeah, everyone's got their cities. Uh, It happens to the best of us. But I'll be back on Wednesday following the Nets game. I'll talk to you guys then.